Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor for Adweek. And I'm Ko Im. I'm the department's editor here at Adweek. And in the room, in the podcast room at Adweek, we have Minda Smiley and Eric Oster, because it's the most wonderful time of the year for media agencies. We're going to talk about the winners, the media agencies of the year. But first, David, let's talk about that moldy Whopper campaign. Um, Minda yeah. and Eric are both kind of <laughs> making faces. <laughs> yes. Uh, Eric and Minda, I'm excited to have you back, especially for such a momentous occasion. It's not just discussing your Media of the Year profiles, but also <laughs> the moldy Whopper. I'm honored to be here at this time. <laughs> so let's uh, get, I doubt many of our listeners have missed this campaign, but we'll give some very quick context. Moldy Whopper is the newest campaign from Burger King uh, that hit uh, last week. Uh, we're recording this um, kind of near the end of the week where it came out. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it's one of those ones where as soon as I saw it, I knew this, man, this is going to be nuts. Um, it uh, it shows Whoppers that have been molding for up to 34 days, I believe, on the outer edge. Uh, all of them are about a month and just shows, you know, mold all over it. And it says, uh, you know, the beauty of no artificial preservatives. This is part of Burger King's pledge to remove artificial preservatives and other additives uh, such as colorings from their foods. Uh, They've done it in most places. I think about 400 locations in the U.S. and um, they're going to be cutting it out from all their other restaurants by the end of the year. And they've already accomplished this in countries like Scandinavia, you know, markets uh, there. That's where this campaign kind of originated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just big, really high-res images and video of uh, Whoppers covered in mold. Uh, (laughs) So before we kind of get into the backstory, uh, Minda, we we have thankfully not really had a chance to talk about this, so I don't really know where the team stands on this. Minda, what is your take on the moldy Whopper? My take on the moldy Whopper, I mean, I do think, I I can't imagine any food marketer has done anything like this before, so (laughs) I I do think it is truly innovative. Um, And I think, I don't know, I mean, to be honest, I haven't looked at a ton of feedback yet, but I do think... um, it seems kind of mixed, and I do think it probably grosses a lot of people out. I mean, when I look at it, I do feel a little nauseous. So, um, but I think maybe that was the point. I mean, they, they broke through with something that is getting people talking. Maybe it's not all good, but I think they probably were very aware of that when they <laughs> when they went into it. So, so yeah, it's uh, a it's a beautiful monster, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, it stays with you. Eric, are, are you hearing um, people in the agency worlds talking about it? 
Um, haven't had too many conversations yet, no. But I'm excited to finally see Mold given such a prominent platform <laughs> in advertising. But I think what I've seen, a lot of people, um, and David, maybe you can talk about this, is like people are saying it's awards bait. I don't know how true that is or I don't know. Yeah. Well, awards bait is one of my least favorite expressions in this industry because it's such a lazy criticism, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. anything bold, anything different, people say, oh, it's awards bait. Now, my definition of awards bait is pretty specific. It is when a campaign is produced in a very limited quantity. Sure. Mm-hmm. In a very limited number of locations, sometimes none, <laughs> sometimes limited to yeah. zero. <laughs> and the entire point uh, you know, these are also called scam ads, of course. And like the entire point is uh, to generate publicity. But typically they're not actually running these ads in market. That's why award shows typically require that you prove that you actually paid to run these things. Although obviously a million ways to get around that, right? You mm-hmm. can put up posters, you can run one ad, you can run one like, I mean, people literally run ads at still do this at like two in the morning on local TV just to say it ran so that they can enter it in contests. So that's that's old. I, but I would say this is a global campaign from one of the largest brands on earth, right? Like there's, I think to say it's awards bait is to is to imply that this is marketing for marketers. This is something they're running in multiple uh, countries. Fernando Machado today tweeted a full page print magazine uh, of you know one of the <laughs> one of the ads, and uh, you know it's. It's it's real in that sense. Three agencies from three different countries uh, spent the last you know six nine months working on this thing and developing it. So I, I would say by that argument, I think it's a I think it's a completely legitimate campaign, mm-hmm. and I think it's legitimately bold and and crazy. Uh, co like. You know, I feel you're you're one of the newer ones to advertising of this group. You know, Minda and Eric have been covering agencies for, for several years now. I mean, I feel like you're a little more closely tied to uh, untainted people who haven't been watching like all these weird ads for so many years. Do you do you see? And you're also, you know, kind of an advocate for healthy living and these things. I mean, do you see this resonating with people in terms of creating kind of a long term awareness that Burger King is making their products a little more natural? I mean, who says I'm not? Tainted. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I had a moldy, moldy <laughs> burger. No, um, you know, I we posted it on Instagram, and I think you know, visually, people are are, are thrown back by it. Um, but it is starting, you know, more of the conversation about what fast food chains are doing and not doing in the space of wellness. Um, and you know. I I do think it's starting a conversation. I liked what Fernando Machado had to say, you know, the idea of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And, um, you know, it's definitely a conversation starter uh, for people to to talk about preservatives and artificial flavoring. Yeah, and and Fernando, when I I interviewed him, you know, he's the global CMO of of Burger King. And when I interviewed him for our follow-up story about kind of how this all came together, he was very, uh, you know, I asked him, are you taking a, a direct stab at McDonald's uh, in the sense that you – the one that I was familiar with is the the last McDonald's cheeseburger in Iceland. I don't know if you all have seen this thing, but it's been on display. It was, so I, th- there are no McDonald's in Iceland. The last one closed in 2009. Ever since then, someone bought the the last cheeseburger and fries and put them under a glass case with nothing to preserve them, and they're still just sitting there. You know, it's been it's been twelve years or whatever or eleven years, and it's they they look fine, and that's the one I kind of always think of. But several other people said, "Oh, you know, kids do this for science fair projects all the time, right? You know, like we we left a McDonald's hamburger sitting out." So in that respect, 
Um, I think, it, you know, I, I wondered, are they poking at that? I think another comment I've seen a lot is like, who among us has not found a fry under a car seat <laughs> yeah. and been like, looks the same as the day I dropped it. Um, and, you know, some of that is uh, obviously about moisture and how much, you know, kind of the environment these things happen in. But he said, no, uh, he said, we're not, you know, I've heard those things, but we're not targeting anybody. He said, I actually think our industry is, is making good headway. I just think we are moving faster than anyone else. Um, and so it was more about, taking pride in the steps they've been taking. This is about a five-year project to remove these additives. Uh, it really messes with your supply chain. Uh, that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that every time you change one ingredient, it changes all the training for every location around the world. Um, and obviously, if you have no preservatives, you have to be even better about making sure you're throwing things out and that you're not, you know, that all those things are baked into your training of these you know, kind of sometimes teenage staffers who are coming in, you really have to make sure you have all that. So logistically, this was a very, very hard uh, project for them. But, uh, but you know, I, so it's it's been interesting. I think more people get it than I expected in the sense that I've seen a lot of just, again, non-advertising people saying, oh, yeah, man, McDonald's, you leave it sitting out, it'll stay there forever. And so it's nice to see that something actually breaks down the way it's supposed to. Right. It's the styrofoam of... Burgers. <laughs> it lives forever. <laughs> That's a pretty boring science fair project, right? Nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. I did, well, I did yeah. <laughs> um, the, I, I will say this, uh, and, uh, you know, M Minda will be uh, with us at the Can Lions this year to see whether this comes true, but I have a feeling this thing's going to clean up. It just has, oh, yeah. yeah. It has that, that Can Lions Grand Prix all over it. Yeah. I mean, what a difference a day makes, right? That's, that's use, in the yeah. ad. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. use of the song, yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Moldy Whopper. It's, uh, d definitely send us your thoughts. I'm sure you have already shared them if you're listening to this. Um, but send us a note at podcast at adweek.com, pod podcast at adweek.com. I have really enjoyed uh, listening to this one and uh, and just the, the conversations around it. I, I've not seen a campaign blow up like this. You know, I would say Mr. Peanut, the death of Mr. Peanut was kind of the biggest talker in recent memory. Um, but, w I mean, we're going back to something like IHOB uh, to, to find an example. Uh, yeah, I mean, Minda, Eric, like, can you guys think of anything else that's been the, kind of this, you know, where, where really. the stuff we cover spills over into the real world? <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, like, I I personally find the Modi Whopper to be a lot I don't know. A lot more interesting than the Mr. Peanut dying for some reason. I don't know. I guess it just feels like it took more creativity. Yeah. Yeah, stakes are higher. Yeah, other than Super Bowl ads, which, of course, yeah. everyone's talking about yeah. after the Super Bowl. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That That's a good point. Um, I feel like this is an interesting one where, like, there is the shock value, but it also sort of does seem like it's rooted in something they really are trying to say, so – yeah, and people are getting the message beyond, you know. I mean, yeah. I feel like that the Popeye's chicken sandwich craze, I kind of liken it to that in terms of um, hitting mainstream mm -hmm. um, consumers. And this this is hitting them in a, a completely different way. And like you said, David, they're getting the, the broader message. Mm -hmm. Well, right before we recorded this, I was interviewed live on, uh, on Sky News in Britain. Uh, so it, th those kinds of... Interview requests I yeah. use as a bit of a gauge of, of whether how big is this. 
And this is one where, you know, if you, if, if those of us at Adweek start getting interview requests from British, uh, you know, TV news, it's always like, oh, okay, this thing's really making waves. Um, I did want to, before we move on, just give some uh, quick props to the agencies that worked on this. Uh, we wrote a whole story about this uh, that you can find on adweek.com about the, how the three agencies that spent, um, you know, over three years working on this. Uh, but it was originally pitched by David, uh, the network, the agency network owned by Ogilvy that has done a lot of really crazy and bold uh, Burger King work. They, I think, most infamously did the Burning Stores campaign that was a print campaign of, of actual Burger King restaurants on fire. And it just said flame grilled since 1954 or whatever. Um and uh, that was kind of one of those where people were like, is this in good taste? <laughs> you know, um, And so it, you could see little like hints of kind of moldy whopper in some of their some of that work that they've done. They pitched this I mean, three years ago. And, you know, Fernando basically said, I love it, uh, but we're not ready. Like we can't run this campaign because we're not anywhere close to removing these preservatives. So we, we, we just can't make that that pledge yet. But I love it. Let's put it on ice. And then about two and a half years later, um, another agency, Ingo, uh, which is half owned by Ogilvy, half by Gray uh, in Sweden. Ingo has a wonderful reputation. Um, their ECD, Bjorn Stahl, is one of the most respected creatives in the world. And, you know, they've done some incredible work. They pitched this idea of, like, what if we had a Whopper that was molding? And that was the campaign. And Fernando was like, I love it. We have to do it. It's crazy. But there is one weird thing. So this other agency actually, <laughs> and and so then he was like, "But you know what? I want you both to work together." David has a lot of skills. Ingo has a lot of skills, and uh, the the creative chief of David uh, Pancho Cassis is really good friends with Bjorn Stahl at Ingo, and they're kind of sister agencies because you know they're both partly owned by Ogilvy. So they had a really good relationship. But then Publicis, uh, you know, a third agency, unrelated, <laughs> pitches and says, what if we had a Whopper covered in mold? You know, and they're like, OK, yes, that is really good, uh, really creative. Um, so it turns out two other agencies have already pitched that. And normally when you hear three agencies pitching the same idea, you think like, oh, man, like what an obvious idea. Right. If if every agency came up with it independently, it must be a super obvious idea. I think in this case, it actually says a lot more about Burger King. Right. About kind of the boldness that they have cooked into their marketing over the past four or five years. You know, they won something like 40 lions at Cannes last year with 14 different campaigns. Uh, you know, they've just kind of shown they're willing to go out on a limb. And I think these agencies all saw, oh, OK, we're removing, uh, you know, preservatives. Let's rot the Whopper. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, and uh, to the brand's credit, because I honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen this, uh, they decided to give all three agencies the credit, just share the credit. Like the, the credits they sent us, all three are listed equally, but they did not contribute equally. And I think Fernando Machado was just like, you know, they all deserve it. They all pitched it independently, came up with it. I'm not going to, you know, cut any of them out just for kind of pitching it when they did. That you don't see that kind of, you know, uh, support for multiple agencies. Normally, you would just pit your agencies against each other and make them like fight to the death. Uh, and I don't know, it was kind of nice. Uh, and you know, so congrats to Ingo, who was the lead agency on that, and to David uh, and to Publicis uh, for all kind of pitching in on what I'm sure will be. So there will be lions to spare. <laughs> 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 just everybody from every agency is going to be walking around with some lion from this thing. But uh, it was very good. Everyone so gets it, a moldy whopper. Yay! Yeah, yeah, there's kind of a stand out on the street at can handing out moldy <laughs> oh, <God>. whoppers. <laughs> Uh, well, that is, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, all week. So thank you to each of you. 
Let's take a little break, and uh, we will be back to talk media agencies of the year. Explore the future of brands at Adweek's Challenger Brands Summit on March 4th and 5th in New York. This Brand Week event features 12 top-of-mind topics. Enter code MYGUEST20 for 20% off. Last year, Initiative OMD and Essence rose to the top of the media agencies of the year through a combination of outstanding work and savvy moves. Adweek's U.S. media agency for this year keeps the pace with a diversity of clients and their ever-changing needs. Minda, who is our U.S. agency of the year? It is UM. A media agency that you described as making moves. What kind of moves did they make um, that really brought them to the top of the list? Um, So they've made a lot of moves. uh, And I think, you know, just for a little bit of um, maybe context or background, um, I've always kind of focused a bit more on the creative aspect of the business. And so this was kind of a chance for me to really, you know, dive into the media side and specifically one one agency. And and I was really impressed to see just how much you – uh, does they, they go far beyond what you might imagine? Um, you know, a typical media agency does. They, um, I think, one of the biggest things that I write write about in the piece is that um, they. So they've been working with Johnson and Johnson for quite some time, um, and they recently created a documentary for Johnson and Johnson, um, and it was sort of uh, it was about uh, a lot of the nurses and doctors that worked uh, in the eighties with HIV and AIDS patients, and it was sort of when that was all kind of, uh, you know, p- there, there was a lot of fear and, uh, and um, uncertainty around um, these patients, and, and these doctors and nurses were just, you know, took it in stride and really and really cared for them in, in a big way. And so the documentary kind of tells that story, um, and it, it sort of ties in the Johnson & Johnson, um, some of their brand goals around helping um, helping the nursing profession in general, but it was just a really, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was a really unique example of like, you know, you don't really imagine a media agency as large as UM creating this like very uh, in-depth documentary about a serious topic. And, um, the, and the documentary ended up airing at Cannes. And I think it won an entertainment grant. Pre mm-hmm. at uh, mm-hmm. Can Lion last year, and so yeah, I think that's just one example of like they're going above and beyond. They're doing stuff for clients that usually might be something a creative agency would do or a different kind of agency would do, but they took it in, in their own hands and, and did something neat. And so, like I said, that's just that that's really just one example. Um, they've also started a few different practices. Like I know their shopper marketing practice is growing quite a bit, and a few others. So so yeah, it was it was a, it was cool to kind of explore and hear about all the different stuff. Um, they have going on when I was writing the piece. Yeah, Johnson and Johnson is, you know, um, I guess one of you know there there are many clients. Their client roster is a mix of old and new. What mm-hmm. are some of the other like big uh, wins or um, you know just kind of initiatives with some of their their client base? Sure. So yeah, they they actually didn't win any. They didn't lose any clients last year, which um which is always a good sign, of course. But um they also had a ton of wins. Some of the bigger ones were CVS, Estee Lauder, Levi's, um, GoPro, Energizer, TGI Fridays, and then they had a few other smaller um, smaller wins in there. Um, and so, yeah, they um, they really do have a sort of this fun mix of like they have their Johnson and Johnson, they have their Coca Cola, but they also have Spotify and Hulu, and um, and I think that kind of is it kind of works for them because I think I forget um, how exactly she explained it, but their their CEO, their U.S. CEO, Lynn Lewis, kind of described it as like they sort of help 
they sort of help traditional brands uh, think like newer brands, and the, but then they help newer brands sort of learn from the traditional brands and why they've been able mm-hmm. to um, stick around for so long and and sort of have some you know staying power. So um, I think like having this nice mix sort of gives gives them the best of both worlds in, in some ways. Yeah, David, what do you make of um, UM? Well, I mean, they've always been a, a fascinating agency uh, from the media side. I, I think the it's a tough one. Like every year when we talk about our agency of the year, which is like t- typically what we also call the creative agency of the year, media is a much more complex and I would argue difficult um, kind of um, set of factors that have to go into it, right? Like to, to Minda's point, it's business growth, uh, but then also the creativity of the work that comes out of it. Minda, you and I, you may want to talk a bit about this. You, you and I were talking about this the other day that – you know, in in the my earliest days with Adweek, you know, a decade back, uh, media agency there was really about numbers. It was just like spreadsheets, and it was a lot of you know these success factors. But I feel like now creativity and innovation really has to come from these media agencies, or else they're just going to seem like they're they're not bringing that value. I mean, I've talked to brands like Progressive has moved a lot of its media, if not all of its media, in house uh, because they like having access to all that data. So if you're basically just data jockeys and media buyers like that's not that's not enough anymore yeah yeah exactly and i feel like they seem i mean just like like i said from what i could tell they definitely have realized that and are investing like crazy and just making sure you know if a client has a problem whether it's for shopper marketing or, or content or uh you know they kind of just find a way to make it work i mean they're also a huge operation and they also have a ton of support from ipg um and and the acquisition of axiom um obviously has helped them a lot in the data space but but yeah it seems like they're just uh Definitely always on their toes and, and making sure they're not staying on top of um, whatever comes their way. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, people talk a lot about creative agencies having to keep up with what are consumers up to. But really, when you think about it, the people who are on the front lines of that are media, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where are people spending their time? How are they, you know, when it comes to ideas like using Spotify and using these things, y- your media team, uh, again, not to speak in like overly broad generalizations, but they weren't always like the hippest team in traditional agency world. You know, that was the creatives. And media were kind of the more suits and and a little more like uh, just here's a bunch of data. Um, I feel like now, like you can't, that's a luxury you can't afford. <laughs> like your, your media team has to just be kind of paying attention to every platform and everything. And, and, and then, you know, it's like you look at something like TikTok and who are you going to turn to to ask about if TikTok's blowing up? Should we be on TikTok? You're going to turn to your media agency, probably more so than your creative agency. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's kind of what um, they, they talked about that when I was interviewing um, some of their executives. They were saying that, like, I think that's even, you know, going back to the documentary they made for Johnson & Johnson, they were kind of saying, like, we actually do have insights into what people want to watch and what they want to see. And, you know, you might think a creative agency might have a better hold on that. And in some ways, they probably do. But um, yeah, they're, they're kind of able to just maybe look at it in a different way and um, and say, like, oh, yeah, maybe this, you know, this documentary actually is a better, you know, thing for you to do than a 30-second spot or a two-minute video or whatever. So, um, so yeah, that was just – it was interesting to kind of see how that all plays out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, you kind of mentioned um, having different parameters uh, for choosing the agencies of the year on a global scale. Are we looking also at creativity, Eric? Um, I know that we we looked at um, the comeback of the Global Media Agency of the Year. Who is it and and what happened there? Um, It's Omnicom Media Group's OMD. Uh, And we really looked at a a variety of factors for both global and U.S. And certainly, 
you know, uh, the numbers are important. You have to you have to have uh, have have business growth, uh, new business, um, and at the same time, you know, innovation uh, and creativity is uh, is also an important factor. So I, we really looked at agencies that were bringing both of those things to the table rather than. Um, weighing either one too heavily. Yeah, and you wrote about how they learned from failure. How did they do that? What happened um, so that, you know, they could, um, for example, simplify structure uh, and spark some changes to kind of keep up with the pace and the evolution of what's happening in the industry? Well, going back uh, to 2017, they lost a lot of business. And I think that really was a wake-up call. Um and, and 2018 was a rebound rebound year for them globally, but um, the U.S. in particular would, was a little later um, to to arrive at that rebound. Um, and one of the things, um, speaking to the leadership team there, that they learned from clients was a need for um, really delivering um, that that unity and um, simplifying their structure. Um, what, they they introduced a philosophy in 2018: better decisions faster. Um, and it, it seems they were really um, at times having trouble delivering on the last piece of that, the faster. And then simplifying those structures really allowed them to do that. Yeah, there's a quote in there: "We needed to show up as one OMD." So so what what did that exactly mean for for the group? Um, well, one one of the big changes they made um, this year, and there were a lot of them. Um, was to the early in the year they came to the realization that they had to to do away with some of those old old structures uh, to simplify those. Um, they moved away from a regional leadership structure in the U.S., um, which included what they what they called a, a painful decision to eliminate uh, regional president roles uh, in the process, so that they could work more seamlessly across regions, um, and and that was. That legacy structure was really something that dated back to when it was first formed. So, um, when the, when they first pulled created OMD by pulling it out of Omnicom Creative Agency, so it's it, you're seeing this in a lot of holding companies where there's this need to sort of to spe- move along with client needs by really shaping up what had had been in place for a long time, um, and that was certainly the case here. Yeah, like a lot of disruption yeah. um, and, mm-hmm. and having to, to modernize, I guess. Um, what are some of the other, um, I don't know, tre- trends and changes that you're seeing, you know, in the larger scope of things that you guys saw um, these submissions come in? I think one one of the big trends I, in, in media and more broadly in the last couple of years has been the rising prominence of data. And I think really a lot of our, our entries spoke to that. I think OMD in particular, really leaned on that uh, in new business and in organic growth with their clients, um, promoting uh, their Omni data platform and OMD design, which is how they really tap into that. Um, and we, ta- we touched a bit on you know, the importance of understanding audiences and what, what platforms they're on. And they, they talked to me a bit about how um, and specifically uh, spoke with uh, Chief Strategy Officer Chrissy Hansen um, and Executive Director of Global Technology and Emerging Platforms, Israel Mirsky. Uh, and they discussed um, how, how they use that to really um, understand those audiences, who, the, who it is that these brands want to reach, and 
where they are, what platforms they're on, and how to reach them there. And basically, if they're eating multi whoppers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where where to show people multi whoppers so that yeah. they're most likely to still want to eat a whopper. Well, and, and this, this is maybe a little tangential to any of the specific winners, but I do feel like. You see this at, uh, again, at the Can Lions every year. It used to be that, you know, they have the Grand Prix, their top honors in each of these categories. And a certain number of years ago, like quite a few, you would have like the big PR campaign would win the PR Grand Prix and the big digital campaign would win the digital Grand Prix. And they would typically not be the same. Maybe there's a little overlap. Um, But then we started getting to the point where there was a lot of overlap. And it's because like it's really hard now to define what is a media – you know, what is a media play and what is a media campaign? Because if you're just doing any one of these, it, you know, I remember uh, some of the media uh, media plan of the year winners from, uh, you know, traditionally were these things like they weren't all that creative, but they were really well placed and they were really effective. And that was kind of what always won media plan of the year. And then now you look at stuff, it's like uh, Widening Kennedy's uh, Dream Crazy campaign with Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, was was the media plan of the year winner. And it's because the media was as central to that as the creative concept. Uh, and I'm sure that's the case with Moldy Whopper as well. But it, it's it's interesting that now I don't think you can really say, oh, that's a PR campaign. That's a media campaign. That's a creative campaign. It's like, and this is, I mean, probably how it should have always worked, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Yeah. The lines have definitely blurred quite a bit. Yeah. Um, one one campaign from OMD that sort of speaks to that was uh, the a can has I don't know if you remember a can has no name for uh, for Mountain Dew the their Game of Thrones uh, pa- themed packaging um, that eliminated their normal branding from their cans and they saw them like temporarily suspend social media pages and things like that to, pr- to promote that going on um, and and really gets into how. The media platforms themselves are becoming such an important part of and inseparable from the creative nature of these campaigns. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, Minda's story on the U.S. Media Agency of the Year, uh, UM, and uh, Eric's story about OMD winning global. Uh, great stories. And we still have one more we want to talk about. Uh, we're going to take, take another little break, and then we'll be back for that conversation. Get an Adweek subscription with a special promo at adweek.com slash pod, the number one. Unlimited access for a year to content on our site, our app, and admission to select events, plus a copy of the magazine at $99. That's adweek.com slash pod one. And last but not least, the Breakthrough Media Agency of the Year is Canvas Worldwide. They basically painted themselves out of a corner, launched four years ago, and it has grown boldly beyond the automotive category. I spoke with Paul Wilmington, who heads Canvas Worldwide, and we started with a little space, so to speak. So let's listen in. Breathe, breathe. That's important. <laughs> Do you meditate? I, on and off. I, I used to do it more, but the crazy, you know, I, I know the crazy, the busier you are, the more important it is, but sometimes, and it's no excuse to say you don't have time, but do you? I try to, yeah. um, as often as I can. And yeah, yeah it's when you're the busiest, you need it the is most. so important. Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. do try and stop. So, you know, recently I reduced massively my caffeine intake 
and that's allowed me to be a bit more meaningful, to be honest, because that caffeine just kind of just makes you drive all the time. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of other things, but yeah. So I've been drinking a lot of this. And creatives need space and yeah. caffeine and whatever, whatnot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming in. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you, Adweek, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, congratulations. How does it feel? Well, we're thrilled. We're thrilled. Uh, Breakthrough is perfect for uh, Canvas um, insofar as, you know, we kind of set out with a, a vision and a mission to – you know, be breakthrough in things we did, you know, the canvas name, that's the idea, the, the idea that nothing great was ever achieved without getting outside your comfort zone and the, the notion of a blank canvas. Um, we, we felt that for the industry, for the idea of canvas, for what a media services agency could be. So we're thrilled, thrilled. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's talk about that um, pushing beyond the comfort zone because you could have, right, rested on your auto laurels, but instead um, you hit a stride this year with a 14.5% increase in billings and a 23% rise in revenue. How did you get to that stride, that momentum? I, You know, I think it's been a a, a series of events over the last four years, uh, um, and I think 2019, 2020 is our coming out uh, party, so to speak. <laughs> um, but really, resting on the laurels of the four years. So, you know, having pulled together a team of, um, you know, kind of restless optimists, people who'd worked in some of the biggest agencies, client backgrounds, content backgrounds. Um, who were restless for change, restless um, to the muscle memory that existed within the industry, um, but restless to create a better way. But the optimist part of it was optimistic about how exciting the time was. And that culminated, I think, in our ability to launch at scale and then to over the over the years grow. So, you know, big wins like the Heineken uh, Group AOR, which uh, you know we're so proud of, but also growth in existing clients. So having Annapurna and MGM create a, a joint venture, uh, United Artists releasing, and how that account has grown and grown and grown. In fact, we're going to be responsible for the next James Bond. Uh, Exciting. No time to die. Uh, go to the cinema, uh, <laughs> April. Uh, um, but um, Breville uh, was a small, beautifully formed client, uh, kitchen appliances. Um, we were talking about coffee earlier, but beautiful barista coffee machines and, and kitchen appliances. But we were able to grow them, grow their business, grow our business with them. Um, so I would say a whole combination of things, but really the foundation of it was this re restless optimism that we had as a as an idea that has blossomed into you know now a four hundred plus person company, dual headquartered New York, L.A., um, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, and now Denver. So we even uh, expanded. Uh, so you know all on those foundations, but I think the at the heart of it is. Um, solving problems today. So 
how does that restless optimism translate in what is you know a flat structure at Canvas Worldwide with those 400 plus employees? Um, how does the thinking get supported and encouraged to push beyond the envelope for these clients? Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, I mean, obviously, day in, day out, uh, we try and solve problems, small, medium, large. Um, and a lot of small problems being solved every day gets business results. And of course, we're always looking for the big Big, big change, change moments uh, as well. But I think the um, the it, it stems also from an encouragement within our culture, within the people. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about the idea of canvas. Nothing ever great was achieved without trying to get outside your comfort zone. So we encourage everybody to get outside their comfort zones. And what does that mean in a business context? It means you know trying to make something better that existed before or trying to break the convention of what existed before down and creating something new. Um, And we do that internally and we do it externally on behalf of our clients. So I think it's created a very nourishing environment um, that that starts not just with a philosophy, but it it, it, it literally um, trickles down into every facet of our business. Um, You know, whether it's, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we're also very diverse. Mm-hmm. So I think that our thinking comes from a diversity of geography. Um, we're f- 52% of uh, the leadership, my partners in crime, uh, I wish they were here with me, are women um, uh, alongside other men. But, you know, we're really proud of that. And and something that, um, uh, you know, pr- probably – you know, is, is proudest of is, you know, 40, 42% of the staff are multicultural. So That's I feel wonderful. like we're in a position to be able to really reflect um, the greater America, you know, consumers at large, ideas, um, uh, behaviors, um, that living sometimes in a bit of a bubble um, within a holding company or something else or living God bless us in New York City or in LA, um, you know, can sometimes, you know, you, you, you persuade yourself um, that, that you, you know, you're right as opposed to listening to, to the consumers. Yeah, I like that out of the box thinking um, personally and professionally. Um, it keeps things interesting. I'm sitting across from you now and I see, you know, a turtleneck and um, all black but different textures with the wide frame glasses. And um, I'm wondering, like, how you would describe yourself as a leader. Oh, that's, uh, uh, you know, this is much more about Canvas, I would say. So thank you for asking my, my question. You know, I'm, I, I stand on the shoulders of giants around, uh, you know, the teams, my partners, clients especially. Um, so it would be, you know, yes, I, 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 I love uh, style. I get up every morning, um, have a cold shower to get outside my comfort zone. Um, but you know, I, I, I turn out, I turn up as if I mean business every day. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, um, that, that's something that's uh, always, I've been passionate about. Um, but the, the, the point I was trying to make was, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, how proud we all can be as a community, the the canvas, the one canvas community, which includes our clients. We love our clients. We love solving problems for them. We love the partnership that they give us. And I think that business 
the, the, the idea of business as community, the idea of businesses as, as true trusted partnerships is something that's, uh, you know, hitherto now got lost. But again, when we set Canvas up, we, we wanted to readdress that. We wanted to say, you know, what is the contract expectations beyond, you know, driving business results, but how are we going to be transparent to our clients in our dealings, in our honesty, um, in, um, you know, coming up with inventive solutions together? Because nothing ever was created without, um, you know, that great community yeah. internally and externally. Yeah, you have yet to lose a client is um, collaboration maybe a theme word as you head into the rest of 2020? Yeah, I you know Heineken's been a great example. They're they're a wonderful client. Um, we're we're very proud to uh, to work so closely with them to the extent that we 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 uh, have them in our space. We live in their space. So the cohabitation, the partnership that is engendered from that, the ability to work hand in glove, um, uh, you know, is 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 one um, foundation of, I think, the successful relationship that we've been building with them. And, uh, you know, I think we, you know, that that's, but exactly as you said, the collaboration, um, nothing gets achieved. I mean, media is so complex today. Mm-hmm. Um, marketing, you know, adds even further levels of complexity and communication, you know, if you say everything communicates, adds, adds. So, uh, you know, anyone who naively, any agency, any um, individual, any creator, any media professional who believes that, you know, they've got the solution um, it is, is naive in the first order because it really, 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 I th- you know, involves collaboration. And I think, you know, we look for that collaborative DNA in the people that we hire as well, particularly the client leader groups, you know, our data analysts, um, you know, the investment groups, the content groups, because they all have to collaborate as well, internally, externally. Yeah. Um, how do you and your team look at, you know, the challenges of today when things are moving in a complex, very quick pace? <laughs> Yeah, I think you've got to embrace that change. So the first thing I think is the acknowledgement that we solve problems. Um, I love the statistic that Stanford University, I've been doing a lot of reading about the workplace of the future. I, I think it's such an interesting topic that, that you know, goes way beyond even our industry. But something in the region of 80% of our institutional knowledge will be irrelevant in the future. So, you know, you could have a long-standing career and you've learned all these ways of doing things. Um, and they're largely, as we're right in that you know, fulcrum at the moment of this change in our industry, techniques, platforms, uh, definitions. Uh, and so you've got to have you know, people that think about and dissect a problem and use whatever knowledge they have, past, present, and future, to solve those problems, and, um, and 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 you know, so what you're you're looking for universal skills, collaboration. You're looking for EQ alongside the IQ. 
you're looking, I look for PQ, I look for that passion quota, I look mm. for people that have a passion for this industry, that want to devour it, you know, that that almost this industry, for me, this industry has been a hobby of mine, mm. uh, alongside being a profession. So, you know, reading, consuming information about it um, is, is all part of what will make you succeed in the future, as opposed to necessarily the institutional knowledge, which I would argue is your muscle memory, that creates, you know, a very uh, one-dimensional muscle often, which, uh, you know, uh, many client organizations, many media organizations, many holding company agency organizations are going through that, you know, seismic change now, but they can't change fast enough. Speed is the other issue. You've got to be, we believe we're right size. So, you know, at about 400 people, we have the scale, we can match any holding company in any service area or technology or, or data area. But I think we are nimbler in the way that we can actually create teams. We're nimbler in the way that we, we want to work with our clients. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing more work with your clients. And again, uh, the James Bond movie is coming out in <laughs> April. So another plug for that. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming in and congratulations. Well, wonderful. And if I could just say final, final word, a big, big thank you to Adweek. We're, we're so honored to have this breakout award uh, uh, of the year. Um, but just to say, to reiterate, big thanks to the people in Culture of Canvas, to our wonderful clients, to our shareholders, and to everyone in the industry over the last four years who've supported us and encouraged us to this point. Um, more to come. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So David, as you heard um, for him and for his team, you know, the clients are everything and we just want to congratulate all the winners. Um, we had UM, OMD, Canvas Worldwide, and we want to thank Minda and Eric for their stories and for being here this week on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you both on the show. We'll have you back soon. Uh, but we're out of time this week, so we'll be back uh, in uh, next week's episode. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Co-M with production assistance by Josh Rios and edited by Lane McGivney. Thank you to all three of those. Uh, don't forget that you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, we just we love browsing through them, so leave us one when you get a second. Uh, you can also drop us a note at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Co, for Eric, for Minda, for Adweek, I'm David Reiner, and we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.